0: Well, good evening. It's good to see you. On behalf of my personal family and our church family, thanks for joining us on Christmas Eve. I brought plenty of toys, and so we're sure to have some fun here. But uh, one of the things that we've been doing over the last several Sunday mornings together is thinking through what the Bible says regarding the reasons Jesus came. Shocker, isn't so that we would have an excuse to gather here at 6 p.m. on December 24th, year in and year out. It's a good thing that we do, but that's not the reason he came. And The Bible unpacks for us several different reasons regarding the coming of Christ. and They all have to do with the fact that he didn't stay a baby. That he grew up and there's not a lot known about what happened after he was born and the Magi came and visited him as a child. He, we know he flees to Egypt with his mother and father and then comes back at some point. And we know that he shows up in the temple and and Mary's not too happy that she can't find him for a little while. But then it's almost silent. The Bible is almost silent until we get to... Jesus' ministry beginning. He's about 30 years old at that point in time. And he has about a three-year ministry. And the reasons for his coming all have to do with what happens in those three years. Not so much what happened in the manger. But it's good to celebrate the manger. It's good to remember the coming because it was foretold of. It was prophesied of. All the way back beginning in Genesis chapter 3 and hundreds of times throughout the Old Testament. God through his spokesman consistently and continually just said something's coming. And I'm going to give you little bits and morsels here and I'm going to tell you a little bit about him there. And it's going to be an answer to an issue that you have both now but also come the future. And then he comes and he comes in dramatic Fashion. King Herod summons whatever palace guards he might have had around at that moment to try to commit genocide, to kill the baby Jesus because he's threatened. But Jesus grows up and the Bible unpacks for several different reasons why he came. We've been trying to unpack some of them, not all of them, but some of them over the last several Sunday mornings together and tonight the one we'll just turn our focus and attention on is Christ came to set us free. You heard the students from our student ministry program read a little bit about some of that freedom here tonight as they participated with us. I want us to look a little further at that freedom that the Bible talks about. The angels come and they scare the shepherds half to death. They tell him, hey, man, don't be afraid, for we bring you good news of great joy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And the interesting thing about that good news and what the angels have to say to the shepherds is that they say, this is good news that you need saving. Well, that's a very interesting statement to make because that statement implies that there's bad news that needs to be understood. Because if I don't understand that I need saving, then the good news of a Savior is lost on me in a personal way. I don't know if you saw this or not, but I saw this, I think it was yesterday, it might have been the day before. There was a cruise ship sailing in the Caribbean the past couple days. And they happened upon a stranded sailboat with two passengers. Now I read that and I thought, that's good news. That's a fun, awesome story of how these two people on this sailboat are rescued because of this cruise ship having to turn around because of bad weather getting rained out of their ports of call in the normal places that all of the cruise ship passengers paid to go to the ship turns around begins to start making its way back it was going to hit a couple other Caribbean destinations and they happen upon a boat that is stranded I read that and I thought good news but I tell you what it wasn't good news for me like it was for the guys in the boat Their food and water rations, from what the news article has to say, were dwindling. They weren't without food yet. It wasn't like castaway where they're just on a raft floating around. They had some things. They were managing, but they didn't have power. And they were probably without a real solid plan of how we were going to get ourselves out of the Gulf and back to land. Just imagine what it would have perhaps felt like... To be those sailors that see the boat in the distance. Now I don't know if it was at night. I don't know if it was at day. But to either see the glimmer of a ship come up on the horizon as the sun hits it. Or perhaps just the lights at night. And I've been in the Caribbean on a cruise ship. You can see for miles the lights at night. Just imagine the good news it was for them. But that implies, we're going to need two new batteries, Jacob. Can you run those up for me? That implies that there's bad news there. And for those sailors, the bad news was that they were lost. Lost at sea. Well, Christmas for us is good news, but it's first bad news. And the news that's bad is that we need saving. We need to be saved. And Jesus comes as the Savior, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Jesus talks then about this saving to a group of people in John 8. Did you embarrass Jacob and give him a round of applause? All right, we'll try that. Jesus is talking to a group of people. The Apostle John records that it was a group of Jews that believed in him, which at that point in his ministry is quite astounding because there wasn't many people outside of the close followers that stayed in close proximity with him that really wanted to be there that you could probably argue had expressed belief in him. But even this group doesn't quite stay for long. Because Jesus has some really inflammatory things to say, actually, and beginning in verse thirty-one of verse or chapter eight, Jesus says this: If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, "We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that, that you say you shall become free?" Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is slave to sin. The slave doesn't remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Part of Jesus' words here that are so inflammatory is that he says, if you abide in my words. Here Jesus is claiming an authority. Now he could have said, if you abide in the Old Testament and every one of those Jews would have given them a thumbs up. If you abide in the in, in what Moses wrote, they would have given him a high five if you if you abide in what God has said, they might have fist bumped him, I and mean, we don't know culturally how they would have expressed that, but they would have been okay with any of those statements. but Jesus knew that they needed something else, and they needed him. If you abide in my words and these Words are inflammatory because they claim an authority over you. They claim an authority over me. They claimed an authority over these Jews. See, nobody minded the Jesus who was healing people. Nobody minded the guy who was making wine. Nobody really minded him when he fed 5,000 of them at one time and then 4,000 later. They were all really quite okay with that. They minded him when he started claiming authority over them. They minded him when he made it clear that it was through him and him alone that they might find freedom. In a similar way, culturally, we don't really mind the guy in the manger. My neighbor put up a manger scene that was made by his father about three weeks ago. Nobody's trashed it. Culturally, we don't really mind the baby in the manger, but we mind the man that claims an authority over us, that says, You have to come through me. That's why he came. For freedom, And he came to not only provide it, he came to show us the way. And so he says, Lewis, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they begin to take issue with what Jesus had to say. And I think they might have scoffed them in a little bit. What do you mean we'll be free? We're children of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. Which the irony of that is, at this point in time in history... They are actually slaves. Rome is occupying them. So if there's another country that has their military in your country and forces you to pay them tax at the risk of death, you're not free. And that's what's exactly what's happening here. They're not free. but They want to claim a freedom. But Jesus is actually there trying to set them free. Show them how to find it. It's probably not that dissimilar to maybe what we would say as Americans. It's the land of the free, home of the brave. What do you mean? We're not enslaved to Canada. They haven't brought their mounties down. They don't force us by gunpoint to pay them taxes. We're free. That's not the point Jesus is making. And he explains then the type of freedom that he's talking about. And if you commit a sin, you are a slave to sin. And you're not a son. But if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. And Jesus came to set them and us free. And there's two senses of freedom. Two, two ways, aspects, if you will, of freedom that I want us to consider tonight And if we only focus on the second to the neglect of the first, we get ourselves real goofed really fast. But the first is to understand that the foremost freedom Jesus came to provide was freedom from sin and freedom and hope for eternity with him. The book of Romans says, for the wages of sin is death. It's what you and I earn when we've committed a sin. We earn that penalty, that paycheck. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the freedom Jesus is speaking of first and foremostly. It's an eternal freedom. It's a freedom that would answer the question, if you were to die tonight, where would you spend that eternity? That question grabbed a hold of a family member of mine decades ago and has completely changed our family tree. Because there was a freedom not had there. There was a freedom that became understood. There was an eternal life that was received because if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. And the first aspect of freedom that we need to just consider here this evening is, is, is are we free from our sin? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation? Do you, do you acknowledge the bad news? Because only once you acknowledge the bad news is the good actually good. To borrow the metaphor and illustration, do you realize that you might be or are the sailors stranded in the Gulf of Mexico and that Jesus is the cruise ship coming? If you were to die tonight, where would you spend eternity? Jesus came and he was sent by God because of his love for us. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the first aspect of freedom that we need to understand. And that aspect makes the second then make sense and puts it in its proper perspective. But Jesus also came that we might live free and I know it's Christmas Eve, and so I feel compelled to say, but not die hard, okay? So some of you will get that reference. Jesus came that we might live free. And it's interesting. We talk about this a lot on Sunday mornings and we gather here. I think there's a default position in our hearts that view what God has said in his word, and I'm talking specifically about the, just the instructions, the commands, the do this, not that type of parts of his word. There's a default position, at least in my heart, and I'm sure it's true in yours as well, that, that thinks that those rules is just God's really elaborate way of trying to keep me from what I actually want to get. And so when God says do not look there, do not go there, do not whatever there, that there seems to be just a default spot that I immediately think, God's trying to keep me from something. And I just, trouble. That's right, Cindy, he is. But consistently throughout the scriptures, God actually says, he's not trying to keep us from good things, he's trying to lead us to the best things. He's trying to actually lead us to where we might find lasting joy and a purpose for life that isn't just wrapped up in a, in a job, but something that extends far beyond that. It makes the job make sense then, puts it way far beyond just a paycheck that lets me buy things. It gives it a purpose. God isn't trying to keep me from good things. He's trying to lead me to the very best things. And he gives me then his instructions so that I might learn how to live free and experience that joy and purpose and satisfaction that he created me for. When we moved into our house in Indiana, this was several years ago, it was moving day and in the course of buying the house and walking through a couple times. We hadn't ever tested the dishwasher. And it was moving day, and the moms were there, both my mom and Carrie's mom, and they're like, let's test the dishwasher. And so they did, and water goes everywhere. Huh. We had a home warranty, and then we find out that the dishwasher's on recall, so we end up ordering from Lowe's a a nice new dishwasher. And I had never installed a dishwasher before, and I called my buddy Zach, who was an engineer who worked in town, good friend of mine, and said, "Hey, I need some help installing this dishwasher. Can we arrange a time?" And so he comes in, and the thing's still all boxed up, and Zach has had experience installing dishwashers before, And so he comes in and he begins to unbox this, and he does the strangest thing. He reads the instructions. <laughs> now, I, I thought Zach was the kind of guy that didn't need instructions part of the reason I asked him to come over I thought he would like co- hook a couple things up we'd slide the thing in and we'd turn it on and there wouldn't be water everywhere but Zach probably through experience knew maybe the instructions are worthwhile and important to read I don't know if anybody's getting a styrofoam airplane tomorrow except me But think of a little boy tomorrow morning that might open this not having looked at ever a plane or even the picture on the wrapping. Disregarding the instructions and just starts to try and make the thing fly. And finds himself pretty disappointed because it doesn't work the way the designer designed it to work. And the instructions how to put together the airplane aren't intended to keep the little boy from having fun with the toy that he was given on Christmas morning. They're actually intended to allow the boy to have the greatest fun. Now some of you know my boys and some of you know them well, I guarantee you they would find a way to have fun with this and it probably would include hitting the dog and me and virtually everything else in our house and then it would snap in half and fun would be over so and but it's not the way the plane was designed the plane was designed for the wings to find themselves in there for the tailpiece to get put together and the instructions lay all this out no I'm not flying it it's one of those that does tricks and quite frankly, I don't want it to loop and hit any of you in the face. So, but the plane was designed by a designer to work a certain way. Without the instructions, you might be able to get close, but you're not ever going to use the plane the way the designer designed it to be used. And see, this is where we've got to have both parts of the freedom. So I'll be real honest with you. If you just took God's word, and you took what it has to say about money, and relationships, and parenting, and marriage, and business, and and just how to order your life, and you you took all of that, and you just applied it to your life, it'll work. It'll work. God God's got this thing figured out. You could take it. And put it all into practice and it works. We actually have a way to refer to those people. We'd say, well, they're, they're, they're a moral person. I've got a few people in my life like that. Good people. They don't love Jesus, but they're not idiots. And the things that they do in life, whether they were brought up in the church and they were told this, or whether mom and dad gave them some instruction along the way, the things that they do in life bear a striking resemblance to what God says life should look like. And it works. Good dads, good neighbors, kind, compassionate, giving is completely outside the context of the first freedom if we don't understand the first the second will work but it's incomplete you gotta have both and Christ came for both he came to save us and then to also figure out what this thing called life should look like he came so that you and I might be freed from our sin, but have freedom in life. Freedom to love him and freedom to love others. Would you bow your heads? I don't know what which of those two freedoms might have resonated with you tonight. Maybe it's both. Maybe it's one of them. But I can't let you leave this evening without again asking the question, if you were to die tonight, as morbid as that sounds, where would you spend your eternity? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ for eternal life? Because if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. But there is no other eternal freedom outside of Jesus. And he came that we might find that and receive that. And he does so through the good news of the gospel. I spend a lot of time on Wednesday nights working with third and fourth graders and we spend a lot of time talking about how when you pray there's no magic words to say. There's no incantations to somehow muster up that that makes God do something. Rather, I think what He wants from us is honest prayers. So if you don't have that first freedom and you find yourself wondering, well, what should I say and is there a right thing to say and is there a wrong thing to say because I don't want to say the wrong thing. And There's no set of magic words that you need to say. But there is a recognition of your need. There's a confession of your sin and an acknowledgement that He is the Savior. He's that cruise ship coming over the horizon of your life. Coming with the good news of salvation. Some of us tonight might find ourselves needing to think a little bit more about the second part of freedom as well. Maybe like you... Or like me, I should say, there's a default position in your heart that thinks God's rules are intended to keep me from things instead of lead me somewhere. Maybe the airplane sticks as an image for you of how God is given us instructions of what He wants life to look like. He's given it to us, and there's a freedom found in it. In the chairs in front of you, there will be a welcome card. And if you would like to talk further about either one of those freedoms... Would you put your name and a contact on there, some way for me to get a hold of you? We're not taking an offering tonight, so just leave it on your chair as you walk out. And I'll come by and pick them up later. But I'd love to have, I'd love to have a conversation with any and all of you regarding either one of those freedoms that Christ came for. Jesus, thank you for coming Thank you for coming for freedom. Complete freedom. A freedom both from our sin and a freedom to love others and to love you. God, I hope and I pray that you would help us get our minds wrapped around that. God, I pray that you would do in us only what you can do. And we pray this in the good name of Jesus. Amen.